You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. God, we do thank you this morning for the great privilege you've given us to come into your house and to worship uh, your great name. Father, thank you for the the earthly dads you've given us. We recognize that that our dads have played such a vital role in our lives, and so we thank you for for those here that have dads that that have raised them in the ways of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for allowing our dads to model what it is to be godly and Christ-like. For those here this morning, Lord, that struggle with their earthly fathers who've been uh, less than ideal, Father, I pray today you'd help them see that they have a greater father in heaven named Jesus Christ who loves them unconditionally Lord who who loves them sacrificially and God and there is no greater dad to have than than the one up in heaven Lord would you minister to those that struggle today with Father's Day and let them know that they are loved and deeply cherished that you've not forgotten them or left them Uh, God ultimately today uh, we want to come and we want to meet you Father our Heavenly Father God as we open up your word today the greatest way we can honor you is to have ears open and hearts ready to listen and to respond and so God today we pray as your word is open may we not be distracted with all the festivities that are coming uh, beyond this morning may we not be uh, caught up in in, in all the things going on in our minds and our hearts but God would you help us zone in now to the word you have for us uh, through your word. God, what we came for more than anything else is to meet with you and to hear from you. So make it so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 21 and 22. George MacDonald said this, Doing the will of God leaves me no time for disputing about his plans. Doing the will of God leaves me no time for disputing about his plans. Although George MacDonald might have said this, this this could very well have come out of the Apostle Paul's lips as we've been reading through the the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was one of those men that was so wholly devoted to the will of God and and nothing else. He was, as as, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman says, he was fully abandoned to the call of God. I may abandon it all for the sake of the call. And as we see Paul living this life of abandonment, he is inspiring others to also aspire to the exact same thing. Here in this life, what do I want? Not my will be done, but God, your will be done. This is actually what comes right out of the text here in verse 14, chapter 21, verse 14. Look at this. This is where the whole theme of chapters 21 and 22 come from, I think, as we study this. It says this, as Paul is living his life, as Paul is interacting with the other believers, he leads them to utter these words, let the will of the Lord be done. It's really a piggyback off of last week's sermon, this week's sermon. Last week's sermon was only one life to offer. This week's sermon is God's will be done, praying in our hearts that we can understand what it is to live on mission. Not just understand, but understand in our hearts and in our, in our lives and say, God, I just want to live my life on mission. One life to offer. God, would your will be done, please, in me and through me. If we can get to that point, we've sort of got a grasp on what Acts is, and it's moving from our heads to our hearts. And so as we study these next two chapters, uh, let me just uh, say this. This is the whole thing we want to get across. Uh, God's will, not mine. So four things out of these two chapters that, that help us to understand what it is to live fully abandoned for the sake of the call. Number one, when it's God's will over my own, I am ready to die for my Savior. When it's God's will over my own, I am ready to die for my Savior. Chapter 21, see the little subtitle there? Paul goes to Jerusalem. It sounds like a kid's book, doesn't it? 
And Johnny goes to school. Don't let that deceive you. This chapter is full of intensity as we see Paul pursuing his calling in Jesus Christ. It's full of intensity as we understand, too, what our calling is in following Jesus Christ. And so Paul is hitting all kinds of cities. I'm not going to read every verse. There's too much to read here. But Paul is hitting all kinds of different cities. And in verse 3, he stops at Tyre for a week. And he's ministering there. He's sharing, his, his, he's sharing the gospel. He's sharing his plans to go to Jerusalem. We read before that he was, the Holy Spirit was urging him to go to Jerusalem. And so the disciples are, are, are hearing this. And he's staying there for seven days. And look what happens here in verse 4. Disciples are hearing of his, his intent to go to Jerusalem. And through the Holy Spirit, they were telling Paul, get this, not to go on to Jerusalem. And you're like, wow, this sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? We learned last week that Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit. He was constrained by the Holy Spirit, like a bug was drawn to light. So Paul was being drawn to Jerusalem as the, as the Lord was leading him. Then we get to chapter 21. It seems to say that the Holy Spirit is telling Paul not to go. So when we get to things like this in the text, you don't want to jump past them. You want to try and figure it out. Is this a contradiction? It's actually not a contradiction. But remember back in chapter 20 when the Holy Spirit was also telling Paul that, hey, every city there's going to be hardships in and it's going to be affliction and imprisonment. Remember that part too? So, so probably what's happening in this context is what Paul's telling about Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is also telling the believers the same message. He's going to go and, man, it's going to be hard and he's going to be imprisoned and he might face some hard things. And so like any loving family, the believers are getting this partial message of like, it's causing me a little bit of unsettledness, Paul. You know, I'm sensing there might be some trouble ahead for you. And pictures, it's kind of like, like when a, 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 a kid would come to his parents, a, a, kid, a young person at 20 years old, and say, Mom and Dad, I think God's calling me to the mission field. What are the parents going to say? Hopefully like, yes, follow God, but, but it, I'm all... I'm getting a little bit uneasy about this, and, and there might not be the, is it, are you sure this is of God? So that's what's happening here. It's not a contradiction. It's, they're realizing that this is going to be a hard call on Paul, and so they're saying, Paul, look what they're saying here, Paul, please don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. We love you, man. Verse 5, though, I love Paul's resoluteness. It's God's will be done, not his, Right? When their days there were ended, they went and departed, went on a journey, and they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, they had this little, like, kumbaya, this little, like, farewell party, probably knowing they're never going to see him again. Tears, and if this is what God has for you, Paul, then do it with our blessing. So Paul keeps going. Verse 7, when he had finished the voyage from there, he gets on to verse 8, Caesarea. Caesarea, we find another interesting setting. Uh, look what it says. Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, remember the seven that were set apart as deacons in Acts 6? He was one of the ones that was, was clearly filled with the Spirit of God and was walking the ways of God. They set him apart to be a deacon. And, and he was one of the first evangelists to go out from there and to preach in the Gentile world. Well, this is the same Philip. And so Philip is here with his unmarried daughters, read this, who prophesied, unmarried, not really commenting on their status. That's not the point of this. Unmarried being they'd set up, been set apart for the purposes of God, these women were, his four daughters. Kind of showing the, 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 the place they had in God's plan for the church. They were, they were women who prophesied. And not like the apostles prophesied, of the, the, the people of old prophesied, or the apostles prophesied. It, it's more of a like New Testament after the apostles, more of a practical and personal messages. Not, not like, hey, here's what's coming in the future. It's, it's more of a ministry of, to individuals of caring for and speaking the word of God into people's lives. Clearly, we know from Titus and 1 Timothy that they weren't pastors because Paul tells us that's, not, that's a role reserved for, for, the, for the men. 
But this shows us that in the early church, there was a vital role for the women. This is a stark contrast to the Old Testament Jews who had no place for the women. We're seeing now here as the church is expanding and exploding, there's a vital place in the church for the ministry of women. And all God's women said, that's all you guys got? <laughs> really? And all the women in the church, God's women said? Yes, it's showing us there's a vital place in the church for the ministry of the women, setting us up for what God's going to do, right? And so it's not in there by accident. I just want to tell you that. It's not in there by accident. It's not like a little side note. Like, oh, that's interesting. Like, who cares if he had four daughters, right? This is there to show us that God has a place for all the women in our church. If you're in our church, God has a place for you and a vital ministry for you in all of our lives. What would our church be without our women? Messed up. Let me tell you that. We'd be messed up. You're laughing, but you know it's true. And so while they're staying there for many days, also a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And this guy has an important message for Paul. And so Agabus comes down. I'm just going to tell it to you in, in, without reading it all. I'll tell you what happens. So Agabus comes down, and he, he, he comes face to face with Paul, and he's like, hey, give me your belt. A little odd, don't you think? takes his belt, he pulls out like this, this weird trick where he ties himself up, he kind of hog ties himself with, with Paul's belt. And he's a prophet, just like the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Remember how they acted out their prophecies? Much more impact, show and tell his kids, right? So much more impactful than some little kid telling you about his truck to show you his truck, that's awesome. So here's what he's doing, he's, he's showing and telling to, to really make a profound impact with this. Hey, here's what's gonna happen, you're gonna be bound and hogtied when you go to Jerusalem. And it's not going to be easy. I just want to forewarn you. Remember the Holy Spirit already forewarned him. Now the, this Agabus is like clearly telling everybody. And so look what happens next. When we heard this, he said that this is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt. So this is what's going to happen. Your belt, you're going to be bound with your own belt. Some commentators say this is a false prophecy because it didn't come true exactly in the same way that he said it was going to. This is more of a figurative thing than a, than a, than a, than a mandate. This is more of a like, hey, this is symbolic of what's going to happen. It's not going to happen exactly in this way, but it's symbolic. It doesn't mean that it didn't come true because it came true in a couple chapters. You'll hear about this. So the people hear this, you know what they say? Don't go. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Get this, don't go, don't go. But here's the whole point to this, this, here's the whole key to this point. Paul answered in verse 13, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be in prison but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You can underline this and highlight this. This is the whole key to point number one. For I am ready not only to be in prison but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. Luke included, obviously, who wrote this and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Only one life to offer. God's will be done. This, this is the epitome of that, isn't it? Of all the things we learned last week, this is the epitome, epitome of it all. This is, the, this is the crux of it. God, I am willing to follow you and I will do whatever you want me to do, even if it means death for Jesus. I gotta be honest with you. People start telling me, don't go, don't go. Some guy takes my belt and puts it and shows me what's gonna be done with my own belt. I'd be like, David, you want a belt? <laughs> 
<laughs> Door prize, belt, <laughs> bless you. Hey, Brett, you look like you need a new belt. It'd be an honor for you to wear my belt, buddy. But, but look, at, look, at, look at Paul. This is the attitude we all ought to have with our lives. This isn't like a, oh, look at Paul. He's such a spiritual man. This, this is God showing us what our lives ought to look like. We ought to also be in this place where we're like, God, if you call me, if you call me to even death for the name of Jesus, I will do it. I love Jesus so much that I'm even willing to die for you, O Lord. With all that you've done for me, O God, with, with, with the fact that you left heaven and came to earth and you were willing to sacrifice yourself, your own son, God, yourself, Jesus, for my life to pay for my sin, how can I now not follow you wherever you would ask me to go, even if it is unto death? I get this, we read this and we're like, yeah, that's amazing, but that'll never happen here. Is that really a call for me, or is that just a call for the Old Testament apostles? Don't be so sure it would never happen here. Don't be so sure it's just a call for somebody else and not for you. Look what it says in in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 28. If anyone would come after me, he must what? We know this verse. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone... Everyone here would come after me. He must deny himself. This is so countercultural. Take up his cross and follow Jesus. This is a call on all believers. When this verse was given by Jesus in the context, it wasn't like people knew exactly what he was saying when he was saying you have to deny yourself. We know what that means. It's done with me, in with Jesus. Take up your cross. Probably standing in a place Jesus gave that verse in a place where there was crosses lining the street with people maybe even still hanging on them for, what they, for their punishment. People, they knew what it meant. We've, we've seemed to take this verse and Make it mean something else in our culture. It means, it means you got to, I'm carrying my cross already. It's such a heavy burden. I don't have the job I want or, or I have a little bit of difficulty in my life. And that's the cross I'm meant to bear. No, the cross we're called to bear is the, is the, the following Jesus to the point of death. Lots of illustrations from the past of how men and women have done this that have inspired us in the same way. And as I read this, I'm thinking, but I don't want to live in the past. I want to live in the present. So I found some illustrations of modern day people who are actually taking this verse and living it out and seeing the power of God alive in their lives. Overseas right now, people are giving their lives for Jesus Christ, for standing for the name of Jesus Christ as we sit here in our nice air-conditioned, warm, air-conditioned, I mean beautiful setting, warm outside. Everything's good. People are dying for their faith. I asked myself the question, I asked you the question, would you be willing to Say God's will be done if God is even to call you to walk that path. This is what it means to be all in, to, all in for Jesus on mission. Not too long ago, we read in the headlines here in North America, Columbine High School, remember that? One of the groups that those shooters were looking for were Christians. The first person shot in that whole carnage was a girl named Rachel Joy Scott who was well known for her faith, outspoken for her faith, and, and even tried to share Christ with one of the shooters not too long before this whole thing went down sitting outside eating lunch with her friend that got shot twice in the legs and once in the back. Laying there screaming, the shooter went over to her. This is a documented truth. Went over to her and picked her up by the hair and said, do you still believe in your God now? She looked him square in the eye and said, you know I do. 
to which he finished her off, and that was the end. Another person in the school, same question. Man, if you, hard enough to be the first person. Can you imagine being the second person? That's someone reminded me this week. You believe in Jesus? Yep. Finished. This is North America within the last 20 years. Look, look, look where our culture's taken us. We don't know where it's taken us, but it, it's not getting easier to be a Christian, is it? It's getting harder. The call is greater now than ever before. Are you going to lose your life for Jesus and truly follow Jesus? Or are we going to hold on to our lives and, and try and have Jesus a little add-on to our lives? We can't buy into this wrong view of God, this wrong understanding of God, that, that, that he is here to make us comfortable and here to serve me. In reality, my comfort comes from being found in Jesus and the joy of serving him even to the point of death. We've got to somehow lose this notion that our plans are better than God's plans, which we are so easy to buy into. Uh, our plans are never better than God's plans, even if it seems like the worst thing in this world. God's plans always trump my plans. God's plans are always best for me. I think one thing that dominates us is fear. But you have to know, as I've studied over and over church history and people have gone to the death for Jesus, guess what? At at the time they need God the most, he shows up with courage and with grace and with more uh, of his presence than, 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 than we can handle, than any person can handle. Paul had this burning conviction in his heart that, that we ought to have, that I pray for my own heart. I have to be honest with you. Would you die for your faith, pastor? I pray God will give me the grace to die for my faith. In and of my flesh, I don't know what would happen. I'm trusting God if that moment comes, God's gonna give me all that I need. Praying that God even put in our hearts the, the attitude of Paul, Philippians 1.21. Here's what he says. For me, to live is Christ and to die is? Why is that? Because I'm with Jesus forever. Do you love Jesus enough this morning to be willing to put it all put it all on the line for him? Do you love Jesus enough this morning to be willing to put it all on the line for him? Number 2 is this, I set aside my own rights to help others walk with God. When it's God's will over my own, I don't just I'm not just willing to follow Jesus unto death, I set aside my own rights to help others walk with God. It takes a strange twist here, verse 17, uh, Paul goes in from there and he visits James. And James there, I'm just going to summarize for you. He starts telling them about all the people who are coming to know the Lord and, and the, the Gentiles through his ministry, verse 19. And when James hears this, he gets fired up and, and he, he's, he's telling all the, the thousands that are among the Jews who have also believed and they're zealous for the law and they've been told about, look at verse 21, they've been told about uh, that you teach all the Jews from among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them to not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. And so all these good things are going on, and yet the, the message going around the Jewish camp is like, here comes this guy preaching Jesus, and he's telling you to get rid of everything from the past and to, and to a, whole new, a whole new way of living. And, and partially true, but not fully true, this is causing the Jews some real wrestling in their hearts because all the traditions that they knew were from God and of God, they're like, but, but I, I, I want the, the salvation of Jesus, but, but, but all these things are so ingrained in me. And so it was causing a whole lot of dissension in, in, in the Jewish camp. And, and so... Paul comes like, what, what, what are we going to do with this, Paul? Verse 22, what then is to be done? The Jews are coming to know Christ. Awesome. 
They're realizing it's not by the traditions, but it's by faith, perfect. They're realizing that all the things that they used to do aren't saving them, but still somehow they're zealous for these things. They got, they got a desire to still live in all the things that they've grown up with. What are we supposed to do, Paul? They will certainly hear that you have come. First, we've got to stop and understand this. Did Paul ever actually preach that we're supposed to, that it's sin to never, for the Jews to never be a part of the customs from before? Did Paul ever preach that? He didn't preach that. So they're taking some good things and they're, they're, they're making it uh, this, this obstacle for the other Jews. What, what did Paul preach? He preached that they were free from the, the, the legalistic demands of the law, right? They're, they're free from, from observing the feasts and the Sabbath regulations and the ritual vows and the dietary restrictions. They're free from that stuff, but he never said that if they, in their hearts to honor God, wanted to still practice some of those things, it was wrong. And so Paul, knowing that, that this is going to be a major issue for people coming to Jesus Christ, he's like, let's step in and, and, and do something here. After all, the things God gave the Old Testament, they're good things, right? Were they bad things? Were they bad things? Participate here. No, they were good things, right? They were good things that God gave his people. And now to do them with the heart to love Jesus is not wrong or it's not sin. In fact, a few verses, chapters ago in Acts 15... That whole passage is about clearly not imposing Old Testament covenant rituals on Gentiles, but it does not say that to forbid New Testament Jewish believers for, from continuing to observe the things that they've had in the past. And so Paul, to smooth this over, I guess, what he did, is says, verse 24, take these men who've taken a vow and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that, many, so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what you've been there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. It seems really confusing to us at first. Like, so now we do have to live by the law or don't we have to live by the law? Paul says we don't, but then he does. What's up? It's probably a group of men that were fulfilling the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was one of those, those things in the Old Testament that they didn't cut their hair for 30 days. They didn't drink any alcohol or, or have anything to do with grapes. They, they didn't go any contact with dead bodies for 30 days as a way to set themselves out apart and to really grow deep in their spiritual lives. Some, some guys took it on for life. Samson and John the Baptist and Samuel, they were Nazarites for life. These guys weren't that. And so somehow in the midst of this vow that they have taken, they got defiled. So they go to the temple, they had to purify themselves and pay an expense so that one day this thing could be all made right. And they said, hey, Paul, just to show that all those things aren't absolutely evil and bad, will you just go with them? Go with them, even pay for it. And then, and then this will just put this whole thing to rest and then we can just truly love Jesus and follow the Lord. What does Paul say? All right. Is that all it takes? And even commentators are like, man, Paul sold out. It's not about the law. Paul sold out. But did Paul sell out? So Paul takes these guys, pays their, pays their dues, and they get purified to fulfill their vow. And did Paul sell out? No, here's what Paul was doing in this text. First time I read, I'm like, I'm confused by this. Here's what Paul was doing. Paul, Paul was simply living out what he told us to live out in 1 Corinthians 9. Here's what God, Paul told us to live out in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. Write this down. He says this. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. 
Though I am free from all these things, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become a Jew. To those under the law, I come under it too, although I am actually not under the law. To those outside the law, I'm going to live as one outside the law. I'm not talking about outside of God's laws and sinning. He's talking about the things I just mentioned. To those who are weak, I am going to be weak. In other words, I'm going to put myself over here and, and, and I'm going to seek God's will even above my own rights and my own privileges and what I think I should be all about. I'm going to do whatever it takes so people know Jesus Christ. That's an awesome message, don't you think? What do we stand for today in our culture? Well, these are my rights and no one can tell me what to do and too bad for them. I'm just going to do it and if they can't handle it, then... Maybe they're a weak Christian. Ever had that attitude? It's crept into my old mind and heart a few times that I had to squash. What is Paul telling us here? If we're going to follow God's will, here's what we do. We put ourselves aside and we do whatever it takes to help other people not stumble in following Jesus Christ. It's this whole mindset shift. If it's not about me anymore, it's, it's, it's about God and others first. Again, clearly not talking about sin. Oh, we're not under the law, pastor. I can do whatever I want. Not what it's saying. Not what it's saying. It's clearly not being stuck in our own ways. That we would cause other people to miss out on the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ. This is part of being on mission. Paul's teaching us when I'm about what God wants more than what I want, here's my rule of thumb. If it's going to help people come to know Jesus, I'm in. If it's going to take people away from Jesus, I'm out. Some simple application for our lives. Hobby horses. Someone's riding around on hobby horses. We can hear you galloping in from a mile away. Because you figured out how everybody's supposed to practice their faith. You know what you can do today? You can shoot those hobby horses. You can take them out back and shoot them and bury them. Because we put ourselves under Christ, which also puts ourselves... Uh, uh, in a place where we want to live in peace with everybody else and help people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to live healthily in Him. We can put aside our own rights. You should never hear a Christian coming out of our mouths, well, I got my rights when it comes to the faith. Sure you do. But because we understand our role before God and before others, we can put our rights aside. We can, we can even, here's a good here's a good. Uh, Application. We can even, for, for some people who like to stir the pot and just like to have all these arguments and all these dissensions about, about how we should practice and how we should live and, and what you do with your Christmas and what you do with your Easter and what you do with the holidays and what you do with your spare time, you know what we can do with those, those spoons? We can take them and throw them out. We can snap them over our knee and get rid of those, those spoons that stir the pot. And if it's not sin in the Bible, we can allow others to practice their faith in the way that they feel appropriate. I went over a list of the things a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to go over the things again, but some of those gray areas. We can, we, can, we can allow people to practice their faith in a way that they are honoring the Lord. And not to get all bent out of shape about how people live their life in Jesus Christ as long as we're not sinning. When I'm into God's will and not my own, that's going to be a reality in my life as it was for Paul. I'm like you. There's some things that I just, I get stuck on and, and, and I have to keep asking God, God, take these things out. If it's, if it's not, if it's not ultimately against your word, then it's not wrong. 
serve us well to all get in that spot today so that we can effectively serve the Lord on mission. Here's number three. Here's number three. When it's God's will over my own, I am not intimidated by man's actions. Comes in chapter 21, verses 27 to 36. When it's God's will over my own, I'm not intimidated by man's actions. So here's Paul just living it out. He goes to this purification thing and, and everything's good. And they're like, so, so we don't have to throw away all our customs. You don't have to throw away all our customs. That's awesome. We can love Jesus and still have some Jewish heritage. You can. Fantastic. And is Paul trying to, is Paul trying to make a ruckus here? He's not. But look what happens next. It seems to follow Paul everywhere he goes. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out this, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Was he? No, he was not. They're making up stuff about him. They're stirring in the pot. They're assuming things about him that, that weren't even true. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Again, something he didn't do, for they had previously seen Paul with this Ephesian guy in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They supposed that Paul had brought him in the temple. So they seized Paul, verse 30. They dragged him out of the temple, shut the gates. They were seeking to kill him. They were giving him a good old-fashioned beating. One of the Soldiers and centurions came down to them. He's like, what are you doing? Arrested him, took two chains. They're trying to figure out what this whole ordeal was about. And lo and behold, what Agabus said came true. Paul finds himself in chains, getting beaten again, simply for just living out his Christian faith and trying to, trying to follow what God wants. I love this about Paul. Every step of the way, you get this clear sense that Paul doesn't care about what people think, but what God thinks. Clearly he cares because of all the Jewish thing, right? But, but he, he's not intimidated what people are going to think and people are going to say and people are going to do to him. That's between them and God. What's between Paul is me and God. What between Paul is between Paul and God. What between, here's what I think we can learn from, between us is between us and God. I think far too often we would shrink back from the message and shrink back from all that God could accomplish through us. Why? Because we're afraid. Here's what comes down to it. We're afraid of what people are going to think or say or do. And so many, many of us miss out on God's calling. We miss out on all of what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives because we are too intimidated by man. And we've lost our fear of God. Here's the thing. Today, 2017, North America, we might not find ourselves in jail, but if we're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, not even trying to be obnoxious about it or trying to be uh, pugnacious about it, here's the thing. People are going to think and say and do things about us, to us and about us that we're going to have a choice to make. Are we going to follow, continue to follow God or are we going to shrink back and, and serve people? Look what's happening in this context. There's lies said about, there's lies said about Paul. How many times have there been lies spread about, about you or about our church even that aren't even true? Satan's a father of lies and he's gonna twist the truth and make, and people are gonna th 
believe stuff about us that aren't even true. That, that's part of the price we pay for trying to love and serve the Lord. There's going to be animosity, sometimes for no reason at all. Why, why are you so ang- have this, all this angst against me? I didn't do anything. We were friends until you found out I followed Jesus. What's all this about? It's actually not you. It's Jesus that there's an angst about. So far, we haven't got here yet the physical pain or the death threats, but who knows if they're coming and when they're coming. Uh, the, the, the bills that get by, passed, it seems, weekly in our country seem to be marginalizing believers more and more and not, and not giving us freedom. If this all gets pinned down to what we can and can't do within our government, well, what are we going to do as a church? Are we going to fear God or are we going to fear man? I want to remind you, it wasn't too long ago that in Canada, people were being persecuted for their faith. I came from the Baptist heritage, and there's a, a, the Baptists uh, were one of, one of the first groups, the evangelical groups, into Quebec with the gospel. And uh, one of the guys that, that was the pioneers of that was my wife's pastor growing up. And, and the, the stories that they would tell about 19, early, in, the 1950s and, in the 1950s and early 60s, going into Quebec, northern Quebec, and Rwanda with the gospel. And, and there they were met with great opposition where Bibles were being burned. And, and my wife's pastor growing up spent time in jail in Canada for preaching the gospel. A group of them did. As I was telling her last night at supper that I was going to bring them up, she got out a book that, that had been written about these people. She was reading it last night, and some of the things that happened to those that even went to their crusades. They did have a little evangelistic crusades, and the next day in Catholic school, the kids who went to the crusade, the teachers say, who went to the crusade? We did. Go sit in the corner of the dunce cap on. And the kids on the way out could kick them or punch them on the way out. This is in Canada in like 60, 70 years ago. just to speak about Jesus. And yet you look at what Paul's attitude was, you look at what God says we should be about, and we ought to be about not fearing man, but fearing God. If we're gonna fulfill our mission, somehow we've gotta get past our fear of man. Somehow we have to get past our fear of man, whatever may be, may be. I don't know if you're like me, like I don't look forward to those days either. There's some days I don't look forward to standing up here because I know the, the, the things I'm going to say are going to cause some people some stress. But what do we do? We stand on the word of God and that's it. We, we stand on the word of God and we, and we, we move forward. There's, there's, there's days that we, we all probably lose sleep over the fact of what are people going to think? What are people going to say? What are people going to do? Here's what God wants us to do. God wants us to, to, to love God and serve God no matter what. Here's a quote by G.K. Chesterton that might help you with this fear of man thing. I doubt there's one person in this room that doesn't struggle with the fear of man in some way, shape, or form. Here's what G.K. Chesterton says is, a, is a, the antidote for fear of man. He says this, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. We fear men so much because we fear God. Not, not like afraid of God, but we revere God. We're in awe of God so little. We've forgotten how big God is and how grandioso he is. And so our whole consuming desire in our eyes, our whole consuming focus is to worry about what people think. And what we ought to be doing is, is, is loving God and worrying about what God thinks. To live out like Paul, which I'm praying that we can all get to that place. Again, not deliberately looking for people to offend. Not deliberately looking for situations where I can get myself in trouble. That's not what he was doing. That's not what we're to be about. 
But if we're going to live this out, here's four things we can do to live this out. To come to a place where I'm not going to be intimidated by man's actions any longer. Number one is this, I can confess my fear of man to God. Who here doesn't have a fear of man? We all do. We can confess our fear of man to God. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Confess it. Weekly. God, I'm afraid of this task. God, I can't do this task. I need you to help me, Lord. That's the safest place to be. Number two, care about God's view of me above all else. We say it. Let's believe it. Let's care more about what God thinks and what people think. Romans 8, 31 and 38 and 39 say this, if God is for me, who can be against me? Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing, the worst thing that could ever happen to you that you think could ever happen in your life will never separate you from the love of Christ. We need to remember that and care more about what God thinks than what everyone else around us thinks. That's where our peace is found. That's where our joy is found. How about this one? Convince myself of God's sovereign care. Convince myself of God's sovereign care. If it's going to happen, God's going to get me through whatever's going to happen in a way that's going to bring him glory. Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. Get this. Because the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, they can hurt me. Can't steal your salvation. They can kill me and get me to heaven faster. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say this. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. He'll give us everything we need for every stage of the journey. Brothers and sisters, we've got to start believing these things and living these things out. Instead of having little compartments where I'm going to believe it all in my head but not live it out, believe it in my heart and live it out. The last one is this, to commit to trusting in God alone. Commit to getting our accolades from God. Commit to trusting in God. In spite of fear, I'm going to commit to walking forward for the Lord. Courage is not the absence of fear. Here's what courage is. Courage is trust in the Lord in the face of fear. Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than men. I preached this not too long ago. We must obey God rather than men. Psalm 56, 11, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I'd be willing to propose that this is the one area that holds us back as believers to experiencing all of God. It's our fear of man. And I propose this today, that God wants us to put that to rest and put that to death today and trust in our awesome Savior that we might see more people come to know Jesus Christ through our lives. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. When it's God's will over my own, I use every experience as a platform to share Jesus. I use every experience as a platform to share Jesus. I'm just going to say this quickly because it's been the the nail that we've been pounding over and over over the last six months. But I love Paul's response to all this for the the people are following him. Look at this in verse 36, the mob of people. This is a mob following him, crying out. They're screaming, there's a way with him. Never had that happen, but that would be pretty intimidating, I think. Not just like, like, get him out of here, like away with him. Look at Paul's response. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, ah, can I say something? Hand up, hand up, can I, can I talk? 
I could just see my wife right now. Daryl, keep your mouth shut. Please don't say anything right now. This is getting you in trouble every time. But look at Paul. Can I say something? Do you know Greek? They say. Are you, are you not the Egyptian man who has recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied this. I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cis, in Cilicia. And they're like, what in the world? I thought, you're a Jew? A citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Just, just give me a second to speak. Let me explain myself. And so we got permission. So Paul stands up, probably with the chain still on. Look at his cor- courageous boldness, bold cor- courage. Motion with his hand to the people like, quiet. When there's a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. And chapter 22, honestly, is a recap of Acts chapter 9. Remember when Paul got saved? And I preached through that a number of months ago. Remember that whole chapter when Paul dramatically got saved? What he's doing here is he's saying, just, just give me a minute. I want to tell them my story about how I came to this place where Jesus saved me. And now I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ. He gives his testimony. And so for sake of rehashing it all, because I went through this whole story with you already, he, he stands up and he, he gives his testimony. And he starts not with, not with like, hey, you, you evil people. He goes, hey, hey, not too long ago, I was just like you. I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was good. I was persecuting the people like me. I was binding them and killing them. In fact, I was even there when Stephen was killed and they threw his clothes at my feet. But get this, people, get this. God, in his mercy, on the way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, he, he, he got in my face. He showed up and I saw a bright light. And I couldn't see anymore, but I could hear his voice. And my, my, my friends with me could see, but they couldn't hear. And, and, and God spoke to me, and, and God said this. Verse 14, he said, he said, he said to go, to, to go and, and to the, the man named Ananias, and, and Ananias there will tell you what to do next. And Ananias said this to him in verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. For you'll be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Of which Paul did. So Paul says, I was going to go to the, 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 the people. I was going to go to the Jewish people. I was going to come to you. And I realized that, man, I'm, I'm the one who killed Stephen. And so then God told me to go to the Gentiles in verse 22. And they said Gentiles. Remember the Jewish people? They're all about God's for us and nobody else. He said Gentiles. Man, they, they listened up to that point. As soon as they said Gentiles, they knew that he must be way off. They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he shall not be allowed to live. And they're shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. It sounds like a grade one temper tantrum, doesn't it? Screaming and throwing dust in the air like... They take Paul, they're going to, remember I told you how they stretched, they stretched, strip him down to the waist, stretched him out, they're going to flog him, remember the whips, front and back, down and up, down and up, they're going to flog him, and he waits to pull this out at this point, he goes, hey, don't forget I'm a Roman citizen, this is illegal. What, what? He's so cunning, eh? Stand him up, stand him up. Here's the, po- here's the point I think, I think that, that we can learn from. We know the story, we know all the stories about, about how all this went down. Here's the thing. Paul realizes that every circumstance that comes into his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all it is is another platform for him to share the goodness of Jesus. He's realizing something that we have to grasp that's about God's will, not my will. 
And we realize it's about God's will, no matter what comes into our life, our, our minds kick into, not the pity part. It's like, oh man, this is so bad. How come the other Christians aren't experiencing this? Or, or how come everyone else has their health? There's no pity parties. There's no like, oh God, what are you doing? I thought you were so good. Here's what it is. It's this mindset of God. This must be your sovereign will for me. So how can I use this now to proclaim Jesus Christ? How can I use this new platform you've given me with new people around me to proclaim Jesus Christ that others may come to know Jesus? How can I take this horrible situation and use it for the good, for the glory of God? So that's what Paul's doing right here. And he's standing up and his testimony is super simple. We think, how do I share my testimony? This is a great in with people, you know that? It's very personal. It's, it, 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 it shows you're not trying to preach. You just share your testimony. Well, how does Paul's testimony go? Hey, before Jesus thought I was all good. Three elements of, three elements of a testimony. Before, G, before I thought I was all good. Everything was fine. But then God got in my face in a good way, right? God, God stopped me, made me realize that I wasn't as good as I thought. And then Jesus grabbed a hold of my life. And, and now I've been forever different since then. Since that moment, forever different. That's, that's a simple testimony. You all have one. You should know it. And you should be, be writing it down and, and, and striving to communicate this with people. In whatever circumstance you find yourself in. If we really believe that God is sovereign and God is good, then everything he allows into our life is simply another opportunity for us, another platform for us to share Jesus Christ. This is where the freedom and the joy and the mission of God take over when we start seeing life in that way. When was the last time you shared your testimony, even in a heart of a hard situation, with people so they could see the glory of Jesus Christ? I've been so encouraged lately as we've been doing hospital visits and, and visiting people who are, who are sick and shut in and, and three people come to mind who've been in, in really hard positions over the last, some of them a month, some of them a couple months, some of them three months, some of them for a couple years and, and going to visit them and, and seeing the joy in their faces. I think of Lynn Black who's stuck in her, stuck in her, ho- in, in her apartment and unable to get out because of her, her cancer and everything else that's going on. We, Dave and I went and did communion with her this past week just to get out and, and let her know she's loved. And you know what she said? She goes, even if, even if this is what it is, I'm going to use this for the glory of God. And guess what? I got to share with the person across the road, and, and I brought a Bible for her to give to that person. And, and, and if this is it, then I'm going to make the most of this opportunity for God. This, this, is, this is my mission field right here, shut in in this little place. And I go and visit Janine, who had a stroke, and I've shared her with you before, and, and she's been in hospital since February. A little discouraging, and yet every time you go, I leave encouraged because she tells me, Pastor, Pastor, I, I hope to be able to move my left arm again. I'm praying that God will help me walk, but until then, I'm going to praise the Lord and share Christ right here with those who listen. Most of us know Kathy Elmer's in the last little while, her struggle with, with, with going blind spontaneously and what's that all about and, and visiting with her and her elders and, and, and you know her comment, well, if this just helps other people, my blindness helps other people see Jesus and this is worth it. I've had so much opportunity to share Christ and testify to God's goodness in this context that I would have never had in other contexts. That's only by the grace of God, by the way. These aren't to elevate these women. This is, this is the grace of God in these women's lives. They get this whole idea. It's about God's will, not mine. It's about the mission of Jesus, about spending myself for the glory of God. This is what this life's about. Every time I leave one of those visits, I feel the same way. God, would you help me get this as much as you've helped them get this? Even before I get to the place where I'm 
stuck in a hospital bed or finding myself in the bottom of a hard scenario. Help me to get this right now. Help us to get this right now, that we could truly be effective in the mission of advancing the gospel for the glory of God. Doing the will of God leaves me no time for disputing about his plans. Doing the will of God leaves me no time for disputing about his plans. Only one life to offer. God's will be done. May the Lord truly inspire you to aspire to a life of total surrender and committed pursuit of the will of God. Let me pray. Simple prayer is this this morning. God, help us. Help us be people who are so in love with our Lord and Savior that we want to spend it all for you, God. Help us be people, Lord, who are willing to put our rights aside that, that others might come to know Jesus Christ and grow in their relationship with you. Help us, God, to be people who aren't intimidated by man, but who just live with a holy reverence and fear of you, the one who deserves all of our praise, Lord, and all of our lives. Help us, God, to be people, men and women, who love you so much, Lord, who are so burdened for others to come and know Jesus Christ and know the abundant life you promised here on earth, but that carries on into eternity, Lord. Help us to be people who share our testimonies and share the the truth of God's word with whatever platform you give us. We're so grateful, God, that you saved us. Many days we still can't understand why you'd save sinners like us. But God, you have in your grace and in your mercy. And I pray, oh God, that we would live every day in gratitude, in worship, in awe of you for who you are and what you've done for us. Simply that others might see Jesus through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.